Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and summer is almost upon us. The days are getting longer and longer. The temperatures are warming up. There is only one inevitable conclusion, and that is we are speeding to a fiery death <laughs> as, we, as we head for the sun. I saw the Twilight Zone episode. I know what's going on. You can't fool me. I'm woke. <laughs> in order to accompany us on that perilous journey, let's bring in one Mr. Jim L. Jim, how's it going? Let me pause here and put on my SPF 1000. <laughs> <laughs> Way to bury the lead, Len. It's, it's been like 95 degrees the mm-hmm. last three days here in New York. Yep. When that happens, nobody's air conditioning works in mm. older buildings. So you walk into grocery stores and it's a fire sale on ice cream because they have to sell it before it melts. So you can literally walk in at 10 o'clock in the morning to, you know, to a fairway and be like, how, how do you, today's the day for Ben and Jerry samples. Let's give out Ben and Jerry samples. Would you like Ben and Jerry samples? They're handing out to kids on the, on the way to the bus. Oh, well, you know, you got some arugula. You know what goes well with arugula? Jerry Garcia. <laughs> well, well, speaking of sun in the city, were you there for the, what do they call that? The, uh, the Manhattan Henge. Yes, yes. Where so, the sunset lines up exactly with the, the corridors of the city, right? Or Yes. What happens is the sun sets directly down one street, and it, the way the street is, there mm. are tall buildings on either side. So basically, the sun sets between two buildings. It was actually a little too cloudy to see the oh. first one, but okay. there's one coming up on the, on the other side of the summer equinox as well. So we'll uh, hopefully we'll, we'll catch that one. Yeah, so um, the Druids get in Central Park, do a little <laughs> dance. All right, well, let's talk about <laughs> enough about that. Let's talk about Disney stuff. Jim, you have a, a quick news thing on, uh, is it Nintendo Land? Yeah, it's- people send me things. Yeah. And, you know, in fact, they just broke ground. Mark Woodbury was over there last week for the version for Universal Studios Japan. So it's not really a surprise that the site plan for the Universal Studios Florida version Mm -hmm. has started bubbling up. There was a lot of going back and forth for a while about whether or not they were going to do Nintendo Land as an land actually in a park, or if they were Mm going to do Nintendo Land as a separate park unto itself. That's a big risk, right? When this bubbled up, I contacted friends at Universal, and they flat out admitted that, yeah, we defaulted to this plan, and interestingly enough, a lot of it has to do with Star Wars Land. The thinking was they needed a response for when that opens in 2019, though, are you hearing the same things that I'm hearing about how far behind schedule they are in Orlando? I mean, there's steel going up, I mean, flying up in Anaheim. The last time I checked was a couple of weeks ago, and they still had that giant, the wonderful world of conveyor belt dirt yep. attraction going mm-hmm. across World Drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't see, I didn't see anything uh, vertical at all. Although you did notice that for Toy Story Land, which is 2018, yep. they've started with the concrete footers. Mm-hmm. A lot of groundwork there seems to be uh, done. No, I don't, there's nothing vertical on the. Okay. On the Star Wars side. Oh, the only thing I saw on the Star Wars side is they, they sort of like roughed out in dirt mm-hmm. the broad outlines of where the buildings are going to go. Did you see the walking paths and stuff? I hadn't seen those photos yet. I did see that they've got at least some of the support stuff or some of the stuff up for the Slinky Dog Coaster on the Slinky Toys. Slinky Dog Dash, yeah. Yeah. And they've got the track for the Alien Saucer Swirl in as well, the figure mm-hmm. eight okay. mechanism. Because that's something that you're going to you put the ground and then you build around it, right? Yeah. So how far behind do you think they are in world? If you actually talk with folks 
about that. They're the ones who, who grumble about, you know, we're not just putting in Star Wars land. We now are saddled with this hotel that they haven't announced yet. Uh, which which hotel? The, the, the Star Wars hotel? They're actually building it? It looks like it's a go. You know about the main entrance road that's being built out by... Oh, uh, yeah, that's... Yeah, we actually had to, we actually had to update the unofficial guide map at the mm-hmm. last minute because we figured out what it was what was happening there. Well, what that means is the World Drive entrance that's actually going to be used for the hotel. Oh, that makes sense because it's a, it's a smaller entrance and they could just use it for the limited traffic. Why is it we have to wait, start recording the show for me to hear this from you? I mean, I realize I've got other things that I've been doing lately, but, but come on, a text message, Jim? I, I'm, I'm sorry. I thought I, you know, <laughs> I, I thought I actually talked about this with you. I, I, you got to remember I'm old, all right? <laughs> you know, just like, you know, the, this is the Alzheimer's kicking in, Len. I'm not sure I've told Len about this. So they're, they're going to build it. It's going to be in the park. Well, not in the park. It's park adjacent. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So that makes much more sense. Yeah. Because remember we talked about all the problems you have with putting a hotel in the park. All right, so it'll be like Disneyland Paris or DCA or the Contemporary or whatever. For the better part of a couple of years now, we've been looking at that site plan for the studios and notice how the wetlands that were next to the World Drive entrance yeah, yeah, yeah. were suddenly on the table for development. This is where the hotel and its parking lot will be built. A 400-room hotel to start with two expansions of 300 rooms each, ultimately at full build-out, provided that there is demand, and that's the key thing here, Len, that it'll be a 1,000-room resort. But this is the first time Disney's done a hotel or going to do a hotel where you're living a story. Depending on how many days package you book, there's a, you're given a dossier, you're given a mission, wow. you're, given a, you're given characters inside of the Star Wars land experience that you have to interact with and trade credits with. And Really? Yeah, it's, it's a ver- going to be a very different thing. This is taking everything that the Star Wars experience expects the guests to do. I mean, for example, we've, we've talked about the Millennium Falcon experience. Mm-hmm. This is p- going to piggyback on that. You will literally have a meet this person at that time at one of the canteens, and oh. you know. The, okay. But again, it's as much as you want to do. I think we talked about the playtest of the pirates adventure that they did at the Magic Kingdom a few years ago. Yeah, we we talked, and that's the uh, first thing I thought of when you when you started talking about this. Yeah, that was going to be a, an immersive adventure thing. Yeah, full day adventure. Literally, you start off your day at the Grand Flow, meeting a nefarious character in the lobby who sets you up to meet somebody in the parks, or, or ask you to go meet with somebody, and it turns out that who you meet at the Grand Flow, it turns out to be the villain of the piece. And you're meeting sort of the anti-hero Jack Sparrow-like scallywag who then a full day's worth of adventures of the park that ended with actually a boat ride over to the beach at Fort Wilderness where you know hmm. it, supposedly a guy was killed with an explosion of fireworks or, or a character. This is that sort of thing. But at the same time, if you just want to spend a day or two in a Star Wars themed hotel, you can do that without even venturing into the park. Oh, you know everyone that's gonna that's gonna stay there is gonna want to do the uh, the experience too. And plus, the other, the other thing is is 
if this is a one or two day experience, you'll just add one or two more days onto your trip. Well, there you go. How much is this hotel going to cost a night, Jim? Oh. You can express that number in scientific notation if you would like. It's got to be Grand Floridian prices, if not higher. And again, that's one of the reasons why at an initial build, it's only 400 rooms. Disney is optimistic, but not necessarily convinced. Well, you couldn't you couldn't build a 4,000-room hotel and do this level of interaction. You have no, to keep it no, small. That, that, that is the other aspect. Remember, on both coasts, we're talking about, at the Star Wars experience, there will be an expansion pad set aside deliberately for one more e-ticket, and there's supposed to be space enough to do another street with another restaurant. Well, at least in Anaheim, that's full build-out, and because of where Star Wars Land is positioned at the studios, they're kind of in the same box. Yeah, they'd have to go through, across South Studio Drive to uh, to expand, right? Yeah, that's it exactly. And okay. that's just not going to happen, or at least not in a cheap sort of way, especially right. now that they're talking about building this hotel, which obviously has to have between the parking lot. It's also got to have back-of-house issues, especially given it's, it's lots of cast members in costume, in makeup, Selling the idea that, yeah, why, yes, that is Admiral Akbar, and he does want to have a drink with you. So I guess Disney's, the plans for this are becoming more public. So Universal is, has leaked the plans for Nintendo Land? We already know for 2018, we've got that Fast and Furious redo of the Earthquake attraction coming for Universal. We also are going to see, starting this summer, the new nighttime lights at the Wizarding World of Harry Potter and Hogwarts Castle. Here in New York, I went to see Parts of Caribbean 5. And Universal actually did a promo commercial of that event in the New York market at the theater. Wow. Yeah, so they're heavily <laughs> hyping that up. Yeah. We were in Boston last night for a press screening of Cars 3. Surprisingly good, by the way. I mean... It's, uh, I- it's Rocky 3 with cars, right? <laughs> Why, yes, Clubber Lang is played by an SUV. No, no, it should have been a Mustang. It could have been Clubber Stang. Oh, (laughs) man. But same thing. We're sitting there, and what's part of the pile of of ads? But it's Avatar Land. You know, the belief at Universal is Mm -hmm. that as much ground as they have gained with the stuff they've opened, Star Wars Land is the serious one. So if you're going to go into battle, let's go forward with Nintendo Land. And... I guess we should talk about where it is in the park and, and what it's got. Or Yeah, let's talk about this. So it's over at Universal Studios. Mm-hmm. They've shoehorned it in between the E.T. adventure. And remember, you know, there was at one point a, a plan that, that the Mario Kart ride was supposed to go inside of the old giant E.T. adventure building. and yeah. But Mr. Spielberg uh, had some concerns with that. It's some notes, is what you're saying. Yes, as in, <laughs> you'll pull this out of my cold, dead hand, I believe, was the, was the actual note. It looks like around, the, uh, around the, the lake or the, the water feature there? Well, that's new. It looks like Donkey Kong Island is basically going to go right on top of Curious George, so they keep the ape theme going. That's good. And that had a water play area, so changing that into a giant water feature. I'm, but again, we're looking at... Sort of a twisty river pond thing that that runs right down the middle of this thing, wouldn't you say? Or 
Yeah, I would. It's so uh, it, it, it looks like it's basically rectangular with maybe like with an extension going out of one corner mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. it. So imagine the rectangle is longer going left to right than it is up and down. The lake or the water feature sort of goes diagonal from the upper left corner to the lower right corner. The entrance is in the leg that extends out of the lower left side. It's it, essentially between Moe's Tavern and the E.T. Adventure. Yeah. Looking at how far it extends to the back, I mean, it's it's well to the back of the Simpsons ride. Mm-hmm. The real border here is sort of the perimeter road for the park that they use to move parade floats around and that sort of thing. Right. You can see in the drawing, yeah. Yeah. They're finally making use of the land. Actually, the Hard Rock Cafe used to be back here, though, or the first one. Uh, they tore that down in 2012 to sort of make room for all this stuff. But Oh, I didn't know that. That's before my time. Okay. So let's talk about, I mean, obviously the big ride to the very back of the land is the Super Mario World Ride. This is the one that sort of ties in with the patent that Universal filed a couple of weeks ago about that allows you to drift around corners. And looking at the track layout, you're going to be drifting around quite a number of corners. I was going to say, Jim, is there is there a straight section in this track anywhere? I'm looking right. at it, and it, it. It looks like an X-ray of your digestive track, Jim. There are <laughs> there are curves. Throughout the entire thing. We're definitely in small intestine country here. It is amazingly twisty and turny. The other thing is, is it doesn't look like a traditional track. There's, looks like the track is, goes very wide in certain places mm-hmm. and then gets very narrow. But Jim, did you notice that the, the tracks, there are actually two tracks in it where they crisscross like DNA? Yeah. The, the upper right-hand corner of the no, drum? No, they're trying to give you that game experience. And it, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you have to applaud them for trying to do that. Just to double back here, we should mention that it appears that there's four specific areas to this, or four specific components. We have, behind the Simpsons ride, we have an area which which seems to be called Zelda's Kingdom. And there's an attraction there in the upper, in the middle corner there. What's... Rule car, something car? R-U-L-Z? This is the eye test portion of of the show, Len. It's got that, there's an attraction there, and then I see a forest village... In Zelda's Kingdom, there's a tree of some kind, and there's some other something-something uh, experience. I guess it's yeah. a meet and greet. Okay, character experience. And, yeah, we have the Forest Village. This is directly across the way from Mario. To the back, approximately, we're curious, George, you've got the Donkey Kong Island area. Uh, same thing, looks like a, a jungle platform, jungle performance. Again, having trouble reading this. And then outside of that, we have a Kirby Kids Playland area. I think that's a playground, Jim. Oh, very The Kong Jungle Playground? Okay, that works for me. If you remember the layout of Universal at all, this is where, as you walk toward E.T., to your left was the Animal Actors stage. That's gone. They have what they're calling the entry portal, but you actually, you go into this part of the park, you come off of the Mushroom Kingdom and enter through Princess Peach's castle. And then from there, it's King Koopa's Spring Shells. Well, you've got a World of Nintendo store. Mm -hmm. It's a retail. I see Mario's Pizza. I see a Spinning Shells ride. And uh, Pokemon Training Academy. An interactive exhibit right there, yeah. But what is the... There's a flying ride, Bullet Bells, right above the Spinning Shells. I wonder what that is. I topped out my game 
Don't get pong. Yeah, this is basically a cell phone photo of a map that someone sent. So there's a there's some resolution issues, but it looks like that there's at least two rides in <laughs> in this part of it, mm-hmm. plus a, at least two character greetings. Then you've got something in Donkey Kong Island at least, plus the Zelda ride, plus Super Mario. So you're looking at one, two, three, four, five or six rides. Yeah. I mean, they're small rides, but except for you know Super Mario World. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of things. That is a lot of things. And what's interesting to me is what they've kept in place. I mean, the SpongeBob Square store looks to be safe. The Back to the Future exhibits that were down there, well, maybe they'll move them a little closer to yeah. Simpsons Lane. But again, this lets up to the back of the house for Simpsons. In fact, I'd be kind of surprised if they didn't share some back of the house facilities. Taking into consideration how big those are, we have to be looking conservatively, Len. This is 10 or 12 acres worth of attractions. Oh, it's huge. Yeah, it's massive. Yeah. Star Wars land is, well, 12, 14 acres, depending on who you talk to. This is an interesting play for Universal, though, because they're taking away the Curious George area, which was for kids. Yeah. In a park that, let's face it, Universal Studios doesn't have that much for kids. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Universal in general is, is for older is for older kids, but it looks like they're putting in an equivalent, if not more, rides geared towards younger kids with one big ride, mm-hmm. at least, geared to everyone. So the Super Mario ride plus whatever's in Donkey Kong Island will be for kids of all ages type thing. But that's not the way that Disney Studios is going. I mean, they're doing it with a little bit with Toy Story Land, which is going to have two rides mm-hmm. for kids. And it's got Toy Story Mania, but... Oh, geez. Again, Len, I apologize, but in addition to the hotel thing... Okay, kill me here, Alan. Okay, me. I know we've talked about the Club 33 that is going into the sound. Oh, yeah. The, okay. The permits have already started, yeah. All right. On the heels of the closure of Launch Bay, that all gets pulled down, and everything... From one man's dream all the way to rock and roller coaster gets pulled down. So long, animation courtyard. Yes. This at this juncture, the plan is this is Monsters Inc. The Monstropolis. Really? That makes way more sense. Yeah. But here's the thing. Depending on who you talk to, in fact I know there's been a lot of talk lately about the retheming of Rock and Roller Coaster. A lot of questions lately about whether or not they're going to replace Aerosmith. And according to who I'm talking with, why, yes, they are. But it's going to be the door hanger, finally. Remember the door hanger that got proposed as far back as, as 2008? The ride where you're going through the door factory. It, uh... That's it, exactly. You know, there's still cast members who talk about how in the fall of 2008, somebody in Glendale hit the wrong button at the wrong time. And folks who were, who were in the parks working third shift saw this entire video presentation and concept art that was supposed to go live at noon that day and got pulled down off of the portal and was never seen again. There's at least one iteration of this that just puts in new show scenes or new ride elements around the old rock and roller coaster track and that's the door hanger experience. I'm, I'm really hoping that that's not the case. I'm really hoping that they go with a brand new coaster track for this thing. But 
that's always been one complaint from people at the park within the parks is the fact that when you're back at Tower of Terror and back with Rock and Roller Coaster, it's a, it's a dead end. You have to retrace your steps. Oh, but then you, yeah, for this, you could go to Toy Story Land. And finally, you'd have a blow through from Tower of Terror that you could walk wow. all the way back to Toy Story Land. But and from there, you could get to Star Wars Land. You get to the rest the of the park. Yeah, that's oh. it. So this makes sense because we had heard mm-hmm. that there was a a later phase of development going in at the studios, yeah. but nobody knew what it was. So we knew Toy Story Land was phase one. We knew Star Wars was phase two. Mm-hmm. There was a phase three referenced in some of the blueprints we've seen. This appears to be it. This is the plan right now, and, and supposedly one of the components of this plan was piggybacking on the work that's being done right now on the new version of Fantasmic that, in theory, will will be up and running at Disneyland sometime later this summer. But uh, there will be a redo of Fantasmic for the studios. That's fine. It needs it. It does. It does. But again, that would supposedly be tied to this Phase 3. If they do the Phase 3 and they mm-hmm. do Monstropolis in the studios... Yep. The studios is essentially going to be the park that you go to to live in the environments of the Disney movies. Supposedly, there is a charrette going, that's going to go on within the next two or three weeks where out ahead of the 50th anniversary, they literally sit down and it's like, okay, going forward for the next 10 to 15 years, very soon you're going to have to explain to folks what the, the studios is because, you know, it's... It, it, in Epcot, right? I mean, you need to... Yeah, well, okay. Epcot, you know, they, that's the, the other thing that, to drop the other tidbit in is that on the heels of Avatar, there's going to be a two or three year lag time, but Zootopia is coming. Zootopia will be built at that park. It's going to swallow Planet Watch. I knew that. Oh, you could you could tell just from the stuff that's been floating around on the, on the web, the talk here, here and there. Yeah. yeah, I heard the same thing. Yeah, it was going. It's going. But it's it, it's just they now have a f- a full nighttime program, sort of nighttime safari, Avatar, and Rose of Light. Did you hear that Disney actually had to increase the ambient lighting in Pandora mm. because it, too many people were bunking their heads on the landscaping? See, I told you this was going to happen. And <laughs> you did actually. You said it was too dark. Yeah. And I just, I feel bad because they really, really worked hard at creating yeah, yeah, yeah. that bioluminescent forest. And now it's it's going to be, gonna, you know. There's a happy medium. But, uh, but anyway, yeah. All right. Eventually, we will get into the actual topic of today's show. But let's keep going because this is going well. Zootopia is going to go over where Conservation Station is. Yeah. So then that park will be reasonably fleshed out. Mm-hmm. The studios is going to be the place where you go for, and we don't know what the names of the studio is going to change to, but it'll be like the Disney movie experience or something like that. That's it, exactly. But it, it's trying to, what are... No, I know. totally get it. Yeah. I, I totally get it. If, mm. that's, if that is what the studios will be known for, right, mm-hmm. that you go there to live in the environments of the Disney movies, then yep. that park all of a sudden has an identity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, that totally makes sense to me if they go with that. The thing I'm a little confused about is why are they still putting IP in Epcot if that's the case? By the way, Jim, did you hear that the revamp of Future World has now got pushed off? It's not going to ha- start this year or next year? See, well, I can fill in a few pieces here. There was supposed to be a massive a massive redo yep. of Future World, to sort yep. of re-theme it mm-hmm. and integrate it better in with World Showcase. And yep. there was supposed to be a, a fairly large construction project called The Spine, Yep. Right up to the frontmost edge of the fountains, 
at the center of interventions. Fusuroplasia. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> depending on who you talk to at Imagineering, it's either the spine or the front porch. And everything from when you come to the turnstiles to the edge of that, I guess the only thing that wasn't in play was Spaceship Earth, but even then there was a redo of the ride down and the new the show scene at the very top. Yeah, I heard, I heard that, that that was still in play. Mm-hmm. To give people a better entrance experience and to better connect it, the future theme section of the park, to the World Showcase Center. I, honestly, one of the reasons this did get pushed back is what with Gigantic getting pushed back now to, what, 2021? Oh, I didn't hear that got pushed back? Yeah. Oh, man, because that, uh, that was the... That was the key was to good. Spain. Yeah, to Spain. What happened there is that Bobby and Kirsten Lopez, who are doing the score for Gigantic, they are right now in the middle of rehearsing for Frozen, the musical, which opens in Denver in August. They just couldn't be in two places at one time. And according to the Disney company, I mean, they they think that Frozen, the, the Broadway musical, will be the equivalent of the Lion King. That's got to be the priority. The Lopez's are off the table till the, the middle of 2018 because that's when the show finally opens on Broadway. And if they oh. need to be working on songs or retooling of the show, that's where they'll be. So Gigantic is is in a, a piece of Tupperware for now. I mean, the story guys are working on it, but it just that's why they pulled it out of the schedule. Because this movie is no longer opening in 2018, you can't announce in 2019, hey, based on our hit film, we're building a Spain pavilion. That makes sense why that uh, why that all slipped. Okay. Yeah, so this is the most fluid I have seen the parks and resorts in quite some time. And a lot of it is kind of in response to Avatar hasn't so far. Maybe let's be a little more optimistic. Let's see what happens in July and August. But it hasn't quite moved the needle at Animal Kingdom the way <laughs> had hoped. So, so we haven't talked about this yet, but I actually had the stats guys start looking at this because how many people are in the park? The the crowd levels that we mm-hmm. see in Animal Kingdom are lower than we we projected, uh-huh. and we so you know the numbers we had predict we had predicted for the increase. It doesn't look like they're getting that now. It could be that. There could be a huge chunk of people simply walking around, looking at the landscaping. We're, we're going to try and uh, try and quantify that, but I agree with you. I don't think I don't think it has moved the needle anywhere near as much as Disney had hoped. Well, anecdotally, though, they have actually sold all of those little Banshees toys at forty nine dollars a piece, or the interactive Banshees. They're clean. They they went through a six month supply in less than three weeks. What cracks me up is that normally the Banshees would be on the slow boat to China, but they're flying the Banshees in. They're flying the Banshees in. <laughs> I think that's fantastic. Yeah. So. So we'll do another show on uh, on Pandora where it's at, but we should have a blog post out on what we think the attendance is at the at the Animal Kingdom in the next week or so. So hopefully by the time the show comes out, we should have something up. Do you think that there's enough people in Imagineering in Disney to handle all of the projects that they need to get done in the next five years? Uh, you're going to get me in trouble here, Land. Um, <laughs> all right, so you don't have to answer it. I will, I will go out in a little you, you have to understand that in the past five to ten years, Imagineering... They become a project management situation. In fact, yep. just this past weekend, I was out at Dayton Disney Anna and talking with an Imagineer about the fact that he was sitting there in a meeting. And he realized that he was sitting at a table with a bunch of 20-year-olds. Not a one of them could draw. 
and they were talking about how they were you know, going to manage this next project and what IP they were going to base it on. And he said, you know, I've been with the company forever. And yet at some point, somebody pulls out a piece of paper and starts sketching and, you, you know, you get things going. And it's just sort of like all of these people who are now at Imagineering right now are, are management people. There's not a one of them that can actually draw. <laughs> That's a frightening situation to be in because you then have to go out and contract artists to do this stuff. And and it used to be you had people in the building who had institutional memory about, ooh, we don't want to do that. So we tried that. You know, that ride system won't work. I mean, when you bring up an issue like that, that's a really serious concern. Oh, yeah, yeah. Especially since we're now in this space, thanks to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, where it's like, well, let me bring in, you know, someone like Stuart Craig, the guy who actually designed the Harry Potter movies, and guys like Alan Gilmore, who work side by side with him. And it's great that you have these movie guys. The look will be great, but again, a theme park is a very different animal. When you're looking to move tens of thousands of people up a street and motivate them to go in this direction or that direction, a movie guy isn't necessarily the greatest choice. And so, <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about our main topic. We got a, uh, a listener email asking us if we could talk a little bit about characters and character performances they get involved uh and what do we see going forward for them we thought it was a really interesting topic we touched a little bit on character greetings how the original mickey and minnie mouse ended up in the parks a long time ago mm -hmm. in this show but uh, but we thought it would be time to revisit it and bring it back up to speed where do you where do you want to begin jim i remember back in the day when somebody played cinderella or snow white they called those people face characters that has since changed. Uh, the three different ways that they group folks for the parks these days, they are what they're called the Disney character lookalikes. Those are the people who, with a wig or a costume or that sort of thing, you know, there's your Flynn Rider or there's your Tarzan or Tiana or that sort of thing. There's then the Disney character performers. Those are the people who are actually in the character costumes. And then there's what referred to the, the third category, which is the parade performers. These are the folks who aren't necessarily playing characters that you know, but are dancers in the parades or that sort of thing. And Disney is auditioning for these folks all the time. And just going through the Disney audition page before we get started here this afternoon, take, for example, out in Burbank at Screenland Studios, the Disney Cruise Line is auditioning male actors to play Doctor Strange. On the cruise line? You know, the cruise line's introducing that Marvel Day at Sea thing. Right. Oh, right, right, right. And they're actually bringing in those characters for that. That's interesting. For Doctor Strange, you have to be a male between 5'11 and 6'2". You've got to be a strong actor who resembles the, the Doctor Strange character. And, and you, what I love about this is previous experience with magic or illusions is a plus. Oh, yeah, because he's, yeah, he's from the, we know that from the movie, right? Uh, yeah, jump two days later uh, out to Animal Kingdom uh, at the rehearsal facility there. They're auditioning Anna, Elsa, and Kristoff for the sing-along show at the studios. Anna and Elsa have, have height limits. You have right. to be between 5'3 and 5'7. Whereas Kristoff, they're looking for a male 5'10 to 6'2. The, the one that really cracked me up is that off-site later this month, they're auditioning stunt performers for the Indiana Jones show. Right. If you've ever dreamed of being Indiana Jones, you have to have upper body strength. 
the ability to work at substantial heights. Same thing with Marion, though. They evidently need a woman with with great upper body strength. And some roles require climbing, swinging, and the ability to perform at heights and in and around special effects. Did you notice where the audition is being held? Not on site. Yeah. In a gymnastics facility. Well, that kind of speaks volumes. <laughs> also, the, ger- the German mechanic can be up to seven feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bit much. That's, That's a lot funny. of bratwurst. <laughs> Sometimes uh, these auditions are literally held months ahead of when they're looking to fill a show. I mean, the Disneyland Resort tail end of this month is mm-hmm. getting acts for DCA's Lunar New Year celebration. Oh, really? To double back to the question, I mean, it's one thing to get these people who play these roles. Invariably, there's the Disney handler right nearby, and, and there's multiple jobs that the Disney handler does. They're the ones who are you know, trying to move things along there's nothing quite so frustrating as waiting in, in a line that isn't moving because somebody's really taking a little too much time. But at the same time, you know, if somebody's waited an hour or 90 minutes in line to see Anna Elsa or Tiana, you want them to have their moment, especially today where a family will show up and suddenly everybody's got a phone and they hand them all to the Disney handler and expect, can you get a shot, multiple shots on all of our cameras? Oh. That drives me crazy. It's like, can't, can't you all just email each other there or text each other the photo? No. People get on vacation, and it's that the mind goes a little fuzzy. But these folks also, frankly, have to also monitor the line for problem guests. There are some people who obsess on a certain character or get obsessive about a certain performer playing a certain character. I remember talking with some folks at Disneyland about this is when they first brought Jack Sparrow into the parks in 2003 on the heels of Curse of the Black Pearl. Oh, I remember this. This is, yeah, right after the movie came out and yeah. Uh, yeah. You I mean, go ahead. Go ahead the story. Well, no, it, and it wasn't just a one person who obsessed on this performer. This was an entire family that kind of went out to support their daughter's rather obsessive behavior. And eventually, because they just would not leave, I mean, they'd show up every day and they'd get in line and and just sort of glom on to this performer. Eventually, Disney security had to get involved and they barred the family from the parks. And Wow. As I recall, eventually this performer stopped playing Jack Sparrow in the parks. He had to put some distance between them because they just would not stop pursuing him. There's also the flip side of this. At Disneyland now on Main Street, there is what's known as the Aladdin Lounge. This is where the the Make-A-Wish kids will come and interact with the characters. And they create this quiet air-conditioned space away from prying eyes so and the characters go in there sometimes will spend a half hour 45 minutes because remember you know that that's the rule if you're in you know one of these character costumes is you're only supposed to be on stage for a half hour and then you're on break backstage right some of these kids will just stay in there until their handler just we are way past your safe time you need to get out of that outfit but it just when they're with these kids, they it's 110%. They just, they're there to, to make that kid happy. And I'm thinking of you, Thomas, who told me the story of he wanted to play Goofy so badly at the parks, and he was a quarter of an inch too short. So huh. 
The very next time they opened it for auditions, he went to the store and bought seven or eight pairs of athletic socks <laughs> and That's put them all on and came in. And sure enough, you know, at 28, you had a growth spurt. So, yay, you know, <laughs> now you get to play goofy. And, you know, it was a thrill. It was something he always wanted to do and actually got to play that character in the parks. And for me, is you know, the character handler seems to be the most thankless job because no matter what you do i mean you're the one who has to cut off the line it's like i'm sorry mickey has to leave and sometimes there are those moments where there is no other mickey backstage and you're the one who gets screamed at and cursed at because somebody can't get their moment with the character you're also the one who has to preserve the illusion that when you walk mickey number one backstage and there's a a two-minute beat and then the new Mickey comes out but it's mm -hmm. still the same Mickey he just had to go backstage for some reason oh. <laughs> a quick break yeah yeah and speaking of a break where are we now this is good this is okay. good okay tell you what there are legitimately a lot of character related stories in fact I wanted to get to 2004 that poor performer who was wearing the Pluto outfit on the Magic Kingdom who as they were bringing in the parade that day it was that giant make a dream come true. There was a princess float in that that was three okay. separate units sort of tied together. And he somehow got into the forbidden space between the second float and the third float. And ah. the, the driver is in the front float. He had no idea that this happened. But the, the poor performer tripped coming into the park and the third float just rolled over him and kill them. It's actually a pretty dangerous job. No, it is. I mean, the, the problem is, is it's it's loud. Mm -hmm. No one can hear anything else. And yep. then it's the parade isn't set up for those kind of safety things either. So it's, no. you know, you don't expect characters to get run over. So there aren't brakes or uh, anything on the ride vehicles that would stop if for some reason one of the wheels got lifted off the ground yeah. as it was running over something. It's just, it's not, it's just not built for that. Well, we'll tell you what, I promise it, on a show in the, the very near future, we'll, we'll do a deeper dive into this stuff. Because it, honestly, you know, between when you, you think back to it was John Hench himself who designed a lot of the first sets of characters that were done for the parks. And, and up until that point, Walt was actually borrowing the costumes from the ice capades and whenever they needed the characters they'd you know hey can the ice capades send the pinocchio but but again i promise we'll get that through a future show and provided that disney and universal doesn't throw anything else really startling at us go <laughs> at the last minute and, and, enough for the next couple of days guys there we go <laughs> there we go so all right folks you've been listening to the disney dish podcast with jim hill we are produced Fabulously by Aaron Adams. Please go on to iTunes and Stitcher and around your little circle of Druid friends and radar ship. That's right. Tell us what you would like to hear next, please. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show. Take care.